And then that first one, Isaiah 2, 1 through 5, why don't you advance those for me? Because I'm going to read that right from my Bible. There's three of those. And then you can just leave that up, and then I'll bring up Isaiah six or Isaiah nine six through seven. I'll bring up John fourteen twenty seven. Um, I'll bring up uh, Isaiah two three through five. And then I'll, actually, I'll just bring up the rest of them. Is my plan at this point? That sound good? All right. Okay. I think uh, if, is that good, Bruce? Sound wise? All right. And like I said earlier, or Brendan said earlier. And uh, I help lead the team here at Victory Point, and I'm excited to share with you this morning. I thought maybe one of the most important things I could share with us this morning, uh, seeing how we had snow overnight, is just to re-remind us of the Victory Point winter rules here at Victory Point. I, I think most of you know these by now. I emphasize them every year about this time, but I thought it would be helpful just to remind us of them again. Um, number one. Whoever is the first person here on a Sunday morning after we've had snow, it all depends on you. The parking all depends on you. It's your job to find two lines to park between and park between them. And if they're covered, you might have to uncover them. Because if you get that wrong, it could affect the whole parking system on a Sunday morning. So that's important and it's a lot of pressure. I know I know that's probably why many of you wait till 10 or 5 after 10 to get here. But you do that in the summer too. So I don't know if that's really why that you do that. And then secondly, and this one's really near to my heart. Um, when you are walking out to your car or walking from your car to the building and you look at someone else's car and you see that big buildup of snow between their tire and their, the body of their car, and you're tempted to kick it because that's so satisfying to just knock those things and to liberate a car, don't do it. You can only kick yours. Okay, you can only kick, I don't know what you call these. I actually did a, a study online. They're called crud balls in some parts of the country. They're called goblins in New England. They're called sludge. Some people call them snurt. It's snow and dirt kind of mixed together. It's a snurt ball. Uh, snow booger. I've heard snow booger, clunkers, crust sickles, whatever you want to call it. Um, only liberate your own car. Because what if you kicked somebody's clunker or snow booger and like their fender fell off or something like that? I don't know if we have cameras pointing out that way, but, but we will find you. So just avoid that, okay? Just, just avoid that. Um, those are the, it's simple. Those are the two snow rules we have here at Victory Point. If we could follow them, then we will have peace. We will have peace among the family. And that's what we're actually talking about this morning. We're going to talk about peace. So let me pray. Lord, as we kind of dive into this uh, word from Isaiah, I pray that you will, as we lit this candle this morning, that, that you will illuminate your living, breathing, holy word. And that we will each, each of us, receive from it this morning exactly what it is we need to hear. And not just hear, but put into action and put into practice and apply to our lives. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 2. You'll find it like towards the middle of your Bible, Isaiah chapter 2. 
And uh, as we move through the Advent series here at Victory Point, um, and as hopefully you participate in the reading plan, the Victory Point reading plan, the Bible reading plan, um, you'll encounter different words from Isaiah during the Advent season. And uh, you'll find on Sunday mornings, we're probably going to zoom in on some of those. Um, So uh, these should be words, hopefully many of you have read already this week, but let me read them again. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Some consider the prophet Isaiah to be the greatest of all the writing prophets. He lived in Jerusalem, and he prophesied in the latter half of the kingdom period of Israel. So let's say about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Isaiah spoke on God's behalf to the leaders of Jerusalem and Judah. And he spoke primarily, if you read the book of Isaiah, he spoke primarily two primary messages or two primary prophecies. A message of God's judgment. He he would warn Israel's corrupt leaders that their rebellion uh, against the covenant of God would come at a cost. That God was going to use the great empires first of Assyria and then of Babylon to judge Jerusalem if they persisted in their idolatry and if they continued to neglect the poor. But Isaiah also brought a message of hope. And we read that in today's verses. He also brought a message of hope because Isaiah believed, I mean, he believed deeply that one day God was going to send, one day that God would fulfill all of the covenant promises that he has made to Israel. That one day he would send a king. He would send a king from David's line and he would establish God's kingdom and he would lead Israel in obedience from that day forth. And all of this, all of that, was so that God's blessing and God's salvation would flow outward to everyone, to all the nations. And you see these two primary themes of judgment and of hope already right away in just the first two chapters of Isaiah. In Isaiah, and note, I think this is cool, um, note, this isn't just words that God is speaking to Isaiah that Isaiah is then passing along to Israel. I mean, when you read Isaiah 1, It says, like, this is a vision. This is a a vision that Isaiah saw that the Spirit sort of downloaded into Isaiah's mind. Um, And then in Isaiah 2, it begins, if you notice when I read that, these are the words that Isaiah saw. It's not just the words that Isaiah heard. These are are more than just words from God. These these are pictures. These are visuals of of what is and, and what will be. 
These are things that he sees. So in Isaiah 1, I didn't read Isaiah 1, but if you go back and read Isaiah 1, Isaiah 1 begins with Isaiah graphically laying out what's going on in Jerusalem at the time of of his writing of Isaiah 2, of his words in Isaiah 2 that we just read. Isaiah 1, if you go back and read Isaiah 1, it's like reading bad headlines. It's not... It's not good stuff. I mean, it's like bad headlines. It's things like this. I, I just I wrote down some of them from Isaiah 1. Here's the kinds of things Isaiah says to the people in Isaiah 1. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned. Your fields are being stripped and laid waste by foreigners. Daughter Zion is left like a hut in a cucumber field. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds very lonely and bad. <laughs> I didn't even know they grew cucumbers back then either. Then, you know, other things he said, you know, and it's almost like Isaiah's like, God is saying like, don't even get me started on your worship, Israel, because your worship is meaningless. Your worship is hollow. You're just going through the motions and you're not defending the orphan and you're not looking out for the plight of the widow and the poor because we got to get this, for God To seek and do justice, that's worship. To seek and do justice is an act of worship in God's eyes. And and that's not happening in Israel. They're just going through the motions. Isaiah goes on. The faithful city has become a prostitute. Everyone, everyone loves a bribe and they run after after gifts. You'll be ashamed and disgraced. Basically, it's this bleak vision or picture of God's people and God's city that's filled with violence and bribery and unfaithfulness and desolation and trampling on the poor. It's not good. And disobedience will have consequences. But, flip to Isaiah chapter 2, but it won't always be like this. It won't always be this way. Isaiah almost does this flip-flop from Isaiah 1 to Isaiah 2. And he, and he begins to talk about like what we read. There's a day coming. There's a day coming and there's a time coming. You know, Isaiah 2. You know, if, if Isaiah 1 is more like here's what is in the judgment that accompanies it. Then Isaiah 2, which, which we began to read, is this is what will be. And this is the hope that is coming. In the last days... Remember, that's what he says. In the last days, Isaiah says, in God's future, the holiest of grounds is going to rise up and become the highest of ground. Above all other, all other elevations, it's going to be like this, this place of awe. From this place, the presence of God will call out to all the nations of the earth and they will flock, they will come, they will, they will stream, they will, they will river toward it. And a new community will be gathered and it will be awesome and it will be multicultural and multiracial and multilingual. It will be this convergence of all the peoples of the earth and they will urge each other towards the center. Come, let's go. Let's hear the instruction of God. The law and the word is it's going to go out from this place and God will judge between the nations. You get this sense. God, it's not just God speaking, but God listening. God will listen to his people and he's going to arbitrate among the people. Like God's people will make peace and God will give justice. 
And as the nations accept God's judgment, like Brendan alluded to, there will be disarmament. There will be disarmament. Instruments that were once designed for taking life will now be transformed and converted into instruments that give life and sustain life. Isn't that like awesome? I mean, what a beautiful, poetic vision and picture that Isaiah gives us in in Isaiah chapter 2. It's beautiful. But here's my question. When is this going to happen? When? This is awesome. When? Come on. Let's go, Lord. I mean, I, I wonder how this message landed among Isaiah's hearers, you know, as he gave this prophecy. I mean, I wonder if they're like, man, that sounds great, but I'm having a hard time imagining it right now because it seems like we're always in conflict. We're always at war. This could have been at a time, too, when Jerusalem possibly was under siege. I mean, you can imagine the people of Isaiah's day like, come on, Lord. Let's, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do that. Hurry up. Hurry it up. It's, it's almost like one of those things like we believe will happen, but we sort of can't imagine or ex- we, we have a hard time expecting it to happen in, our, in, we, in a time that we get to experience. And then I started thinking about, well, what about us? What about us? We're now approaching almost 3,000 years since Isaiah prophesied these, these words and, and gave this vision. We're, we're approaching 3,000 years since that, these words of hope and these words of peace. And I don't know about you, but I look around and I'm pretty sure this hasn't happened yet. Pretty sure we, we, we're still waiting. We're still waiting for this to come to f- f- fulfillment. Excuse me, our headlines. I mean, when I think about the headlines of Isaiah 1, I start thinking about, well, what are the headlines of today? What are, I mean, our headlines are a little bit different in, in our world today, but they're kind of the same. You know, th- these words, did you know? I didn't know this. Did you know the, the, those words of Isaiah 2 that we read when it talks about, you know, um, beating the swords into plowshares and turning the spears into pruning hooks? Did you know those words are inscribed, carved on the wall across from the United Nations building in New York City? Those are the words that the United Nations grab hold of as a vision for, for what they long for. But... I wonder how long they've been inscribed there because we're still, we're still waiting. I mean, um, you know, it, is this really going to happen? Those words, both then and now, they, they kind of feel like this, this faraway fantasy. I mean, all we got to do is turn on the news to know that that day hasn't come yet. We turn on the news and we, we can read about more deaths in Afghanistan or the Mexican drug war that's happening or we go to Yemen and Syria. I look, those, those are global conflicts in the world and in each of those four global conflicts, there's been 10,000 plus people lost in each of those just in 2019. And some of those conflicts have been going on since the 70s. It hasn't happened yet. Or, or we scan the headlines and we read things like this. Or we do a Google search like I did. There are estimated 40.3 million victims of human trafficking globally. 40.3. Most of those are like, uh, like in, in indentured servanthood. You know, but but 40.3 million of victims of human trafficking globally. We, we read you know, headlines of, of babies being aborted. We read headlines of corruption in world governments and in ours too. We read 
about corporate greed. We read about the plight of the orphan and the widow and the poor still being ignored all over the world and in our community too. So, so when is this going to happen, Isaiah? Like, uh, when is this happening? Come, Lord Jesus, come. Where is this hope? Where is this peace? Isaiah painted this picture 3,000 years ago. When's it going to happen? I mean, we've got to be getting closer because 3,000 years have passed. We've got to be getting closer. It reminds me of the time um, right after Tori and I got married, 1996, um, we decided like, to go camping across the Upper Peninsula. Okay, we just thought that'd be cool. I had a, like a cool red Jeep Cherokee Sport and put camping gear in it. And we're just going to camp across the UP and we're going to end up in the Porcupine Mountains. Do you remember that trip? The one thing I remember about that trip is how long it took to drive across the Upper Peninsula. Up to that point, I had been maybe halfway across to go fishing. And I assume, like, so I, I remember like one day we were driving. I can't remember if we were driving across or back, but um, we were driving and uh, like... I, I, Maybe you were driving and I was sleeping. I don't know. I wake up like, we got to be almost there, right? We got to be almost like back to the bridge or over to the Porcupine Mountains. And you see a sign. This is before GPS. This is before you had phones that just told you where to turn. You didn't have to know what road you were on or what direction was what. I mean, you actually had to have a map and you had to like follow a map and things like that. Things that our kids have no idea how to do. And like, I remember like waking up like, like thinking, oh, we must be there. Like in a sign that says like 150 miles. Like, God. Come on. I mean, it's beautiful, but it's just taken forever. Like, like I thought we'd be closer, but we're still a long ways away. I think that's what it feels like, doesn't it? Like, we got to be closer to this day and this vision, but we're not quite there yet. Or it might be like a, like a football team that you think is getting better. And you think like, okay, like we're closer now to beating our rival that always kicks our butt. And so we're closer. And then you play them in football, like yesterday possibly, and you realize we're not close at all. We're farther away, I think, than what we used to be. I think we backpedaled somehow. I mean, but you get that feeling, right? Like, like come on. Like, when's it going to happen? Like, I, we got to be closer by now. Isaiah is describing a day that will come, that is coming. He's describing a day that is very joyful, very hopeful, very peaceful. And we want that. And the people in Isaiah's day wanted that. But, but here's my question. Is he talking about, is this just a heaven thing he's talking about? Is this just something that will happen someday when we go to heaven, we'll finally have this peace that he describes? Or, or is this just like, this is the kind of thing that will only happen when Jesus comes back, in, um, when, when there's a new heaven and a new earth? I think, well, on one hand, yes, most certainly, that's true. That, that's what, that is, this is a picture of that. This is a picture of a new heaven and a new earth in a new way. So do we just endure that and wait for that? Not at all. Not at all. You see, while I do believe Isaiah is laying down a vision from God of, of what will be in a new heaven and a new earth, I think Isaiah is also pointing towards a new reign of God on earth that is coming. Because when you read all of Isaiah, not just chapter 2, but when you read all of Isaiah's prophecies, you, you, you start to understand he's not just pointing towards a time and space, he's pointing towards a person. He's pointing towards a person. And he talks about this person in Isaiah 9, 
just going to flip ahead. We might re- revisit this passage on, on our Christmas gathering on December 22, but I want to just go to it right now at the beginning of Advent. You guys know this. You, you've heard these words, I bet. This is what, la- what later on in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah prophesies. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. These will be his royal titles. He's going to be called Wonderful Counselor. He's going to be called Mighty God. He's going to be called the Everlasting Father, and he's going to be called the Prince of Peace. And his ever, I love this, his ever-expanding, his ever-expanding peaceful government will never end. He will rule with perfect fairness and justice from the throne of his father David. He will bring true justice and peace to all the nations of the world. This is going to happen because the Lord of heaven's army has dedicated himself to it. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is peace. Peace is a person. I mean, think about the first words of the angels announcing God's arrival to the shepherds. He says, the angel's like, I got good news and it's of great joy and it's for everybody. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior. His name is Jesus. And then they, these other angels join in and they start singing glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. Peace on earth. Peace has landed on earth and his name is Jesus. Peace has landed on earth and his name is Jesus. And in the Bible, we need to understand when it talks about peace, peace is is more than just the absence of conflict. I mean, that's cool. That's awesome. But peace is way more than just the absence of conflict. It's the presence of something better. And that presence is, is Jesus. The Old Testament word is shalom. You know, in the New Testament, in the Greek, it's orene. And, and what it implies, when the Bible, whenever the Bible uses the word peace, it's talking about completeness, wholeness. Okay, it's more than just the absence of conflict. It's the presence of completeness and wholeness in the person of Jesus Christ. We, we, we came across it in this week's readings, didn't we? If you read Psalm 122 this week, you read about the, the psalmist talking about peace, talking about peace. And, and we were reading that, I think it was, um, forget what day, was that Thursday or t- Tuesday? We were reading that as a staff and we, we just started praying it because there's this phrase in there, you know, where, where it talks about, um, uh, you know, for the sake of, you know, like the city or whatever, I say, peace be within you. We just started naming people. We just started naming some of you. Like, 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 who needs completeness and wholeness and peace right now? And we would just pray, like, like for the sake of Brendan, you know, like, I, I, peace be within you. And, and, and then, then and Wednesday, if you're reading along, then you came across Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. And there's that, that, that verse in there that, that we know so well. It says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, with prayer and petition and, and with thanksgiving, Present your request to God. And you know what will happen? The peace of Christ, which transcends anything you could comprehend. It doesn't make sense in the moment. Will guard your heart and will guard your mind in Christ Jesus. Or or Jesus in, in John 14. His disciples are really stressed and anxious. He breaks into their moment and he says this. Peace I leave with you. My peace 
I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled and don't be afraid. Peace. Advent is about waiting. Advent is about anticipating the one who's going to return. But Advent is also a reminder that the one we wait for has already come. The one we wait for has already come. So we're not waiting for something that we don't already have. Meaning our waiting for his return isn't just a passive thing. God, when, when the Israelites were waiting for the Messiah, and they're waiting for generations and generations and hundreds of years, it's not like God was on pause. God was up to something. God was at work. God was moving and working, and he still is in our waiting. So back to Isaiah 2. I just want to highlight just a couple of phrases, and then we're going to uh, conclude. But, but in Isaiah's vision, in, in, in the words that he saw, that he shares, that we call Isaiah 2, chapters 1 through 5, there's a couple of things I just want to draw attention to. You know, remember this is what he said. Many peoples will come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He'll judge between the nations, will settle disputes for many peoples. They'll beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Then there's this, there's this picture of what will be, but then there's this present day invitation. Come, let's walk in the light of the Lord. Let's walk in the light of the Lord. Which reminds me of what John said in his epistle, his letter, in 1 John, you know, 1 John 2, 6, when it's, he says, whoever claims to, to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Whoever claims to be a Christian must, must walk as Jesus did. There's, there's something that happens in the walking the way of Jesus, in, in the walking the path of Jesus, that when we, when we seek to, to live our lives to be like Jesus and to do the kinds of things that Jesus did. There, there's something that happens that, that, that brings peace. There's something that happens that brings peace to us and brings peace to, to those around us. It, it brings this vision of Isaiah 2 closer. Bringing heaven to earth sort of happens when, when, we, when we seek to walk in the light of the Lord. When we seek to walk in his paths. I mean think about it this way. If Jesus is peace and Jesus is inside of you, what do you have available to you at any moment? Peace. What do you have to give away to the people around you at any and every moment? Peace. Because peace is a person and and peace dwells in you, is incarnate in you. For Christians, that means we're, we're little Christs. We're little peace bringers and in, in, in givers. I mean, Isaiah, I, I get it. He's sort of painting this, this almost dreamy picture of a future that's awesome. But at the same time, he also hands us this, this real-time invitation. You know what? In light of what will be, come. Let's walk in his ways. And let's bring what will be to earth as it is in heaven. Come, let us walk in the light. 
Let's walk in the light that is Jesus. The true light that gives light to the world has come. I want to invite the the worship team to come on up. And we're just going to prepare to move into a time of communion. But as before we get there, I just want to give you some prompts, maybe. Maybe some, some reminders. In this, earlier this week, I, I was sitting in the living room of Vern and Vani Bauman. You know, and, and Vern's gotten some news lately that uh, there's some cancer in his body, and they're trying to figure out how to treat that. But I sat in the living room of those two, and, and there was almost like tangible peace. Peace in the midst of cancer. Because peace transcends our circumstances. And, and they, they shared with me, like, Man, God has always been good to us. He always will be there at peace. Even though there's a battle in front of them, they're at peace. Peace is a person. Peace is a person inside of you. Where do you need peace this morning? Why aren't you you experiencing peace? Peace. Well, if you don't have Jesus, that's probably the main reason why you don't have peace. Because peace is a person. And if you don't have Jesus in your life, you're going to have a hard time having peace in this life and in the one to come. So that's a starting point for some of, maybe somebody in this room this morning. If you don't have Jesus, you're not going to be able to have peace until you do. So what if this morning, just in this time of reflection, you just... Close your eyes and, and said to God, just really honestly, like, Lord, I need peace. I need Jesus. I welcome you into my life and I give you my life. And I take on your life. You can do that this morning and you can have peace. It might not immediately change everything about your circumstances, but it can change you in the midst of your circumstances. If you're not... If you're you're struggling to have peace, let me ask, you know, do you have Jesus? Are you praying? Because Paul reminded us, right? You know, don't be anxious. Pray and you will have peace. Prayer accesses the peace of God. If you don't have peace, my third question would be like, are you walking in the light? Are you walking in his ways? There's something about walking in his ways, Isaiah says, that ushers in this, this picture, this vision, this peace. Maybe this morning you just need to cry out to Jesus in your storm and ask him to do what he did for the disciples, to, to, to wake up and say, peace be still to the storm. Or, or maybe, you know, a way that convicted me this week as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about this, uh, especially the weapons part, you know, that Brendan was referring to as well, like the spear and uh, the sword. I'm like, man, I'm not at battle with anybody right now. I don't don't have any wars in my life. And then the spirit just convicted me out of nowhere. Like, what about your words? Words are weapons. Words are instruments that can be used for life or can be used for um, death and destruction. Whoa, like, what would it be like to, to turn my words from instruments of destruction to instruments of life? Like, what would it be like if for the, 
What if in Advent, every word that comes out of our mouths are only words that build people up, that, that would get texted, that get put on social media, that get spoken, that get written? What would it look like to, to drop our, our word weapons? Like James says, he, James 3, he talks about like this tongue is this one little muscle and it can do mighty things, good or bad. Like, I'm going to use it for good. What around you is lacking peace? Is there a situation, a family, a relationship that's lacking peace? What would it be like to to be a peace bringer? How did Jesus do it? He entered in. He entered into our world and brought peace. What would it look like to enter into somebody's life, to enter into somebody's situation and to be peace and to speak words of peace and to bring peace? Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says. I don't know. What would it look like this morning to just take a moment and to breathe out all the things that are competing for your peace and just to to breathe in the peace of Jesus? I, I know I've needed that this morning. And speaking on peace this week, the one thing I haven't had all week is peace. I don't know why. It was like a spiritual battle of sorts. And then the team, they prayed over me, specifically. And ever since then, like, I have peace. I have peace. So just take a moment and breathe in the peace of Jesus. And talk to him. going to close. I'm just going to read Isaiah 2, 1 through 5, one more time. And we're going to have a time of communion and singing together. I'm going to read it this time from the message. The message Isaiah got regarding Judah and Jerusalem. There's a day coming when the mountain of God's house will be the mountain, solid, towering over all mountains. All nations will river toward it. People from all over set out for it. They'll say, come, let's climb God's mountain. Go to the house of God of Jacob. He'll show us the way he works so that we can live the way we're made. Zion's the source of the revelation. God's message comes from Jerusalem. He'll settle things fairly between the nations. He'll make things right between many peoples. They'll turn their swords into shovels, their spears into hoes. No more will nation fight nation. They won't play war anymore. Come, family of Jacob, let's live in the light of God. May that be us this week. Let's live in the light of God and usher in this vision and bring it closer to earth. May it be so. Amen. I invite those who are going to help us with communion this morning to come forward and to grab the elements and position themselves. As they do that, I just want to read one more verse. 